All right, so Matt, I don't know if you heard about this or not, but the Institute of Unfinished Research concluded that eight out of ten people. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. (laughs) All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? Man, I'm pretty good. Good deal. Good deal. I know y'all are um, at at the time of recording this because it'll come out a little later, but y'all are about to get some Texas heat up there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're getting we're getting a little bit of it today. It's going to be sweltering tomorrow. I I contemplated doing this just completely nude tonight. Well, you know, the good thing is. I wouldn't have to see any naughty bits because of the way the camera is. So <laughs> I'm. Oh, no, I would adjust the camera. <laughs> That's all you would see. <laughs> like, sorry about it. Put the but, microphone uh, down there and everything. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Matt, why do you sound like you're in a tin can? I don't understand. <laughs> so, uh, on that note, uh, we'll say go check out Podbelly Network. Um, go to podbelly.com. <laughs> You can find a list of shows that we're proud to be associated with. Some of them may do their show in the nude because of the heat. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but you're going to find something on, on Podbelly that you will enjoy. So go over there and check them out at podbelly.com. Uh, we also want to say go over to patreon.com slash graveyard tales. You can sign up to become a patron. We've got multiple different levels of patronage there. You can... Uh, if you sign up to become a $10 a month patron, you can get the video versions of these episodes. You can get an ad-free version. The video version, a lot of times, I don't cut out as much. So you'll get some extra stuff in there that maybe we get messed up on something and you get to see us trying to get back on track and yeah. all that. So it's like a little behind-the-scenes extra. Um, or you get to see me fall out of my chair or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There was one time Matt was fighting uh, a wasp or something in there. Yeah. Uh, A sign fell down. I mean, there's been some interesting things that happened. So go to patreon.com slash graveyard tales. And we're going to be recording some extra bonus episodes tonight after we do this main episode anyway. Um, Now, Matt, that's all I've got for the intro. Pretty short today. So why don't you tell us what are we talking about tonight, brother? Well, tonight we're we're gonna look at a place uh, in Italy that, oddly enough, and and I I know I say this a lot, it is on so many lists of Italy's most haunted place. Bingo. Okay, it Wait. is. It's sometimes even referred to. <laughs> you remember the bingo board? Uh huh. The bingo. Yeah. Somebody <laughs> somebody just scored. You yeah. Know, early on. <laughs> yeah. Um. But but yeah, so um, I have seen this place referred to as the most haunted place in Italy. Okay, um, we're gonna look into that 
and uh, just see how accurate that is. Okay, we uh, we're going to cover the history like we normally do, which is which is you know it's 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 not a, a lot of history, but it's very very interesting, and the, this place is just. It's really cool. We're going to talk about the Red House uh, in Italy, also called what Ghost, the Ghost House, Ghost Mansion, the Witch's House. It's got several nicknames. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, as we always say, go check our sources down at the bottom of the show notes. You can find where we found all this information, and you can uh, continue along with us. Now, a lot of this, the information on the house, I actually found from Atlas Obscura. They had several, uh, yeah. several good articles on the house, um, but there's other places down there in the sources as well. Now, we're going to do our best to get through the Italian names of all of the places that we have talked about. I think it's so, I, I, this may be one of the hardest ones for me to pronounce correctly because I feel like I should be able to pronounce it. So I just go with it and then I'm totally wrong. So just apologize up front. Well, you know, it, it may be, and, and they can be, they can be kind of difficult words for Westerners. We have a tendency to butcher Italian. Oh yeah. We all the double letters, you know, have a different pronunciation. I still think Australia is what trips us up the most because we look at these words and we think we know exactly how to say them. <laughs> True. Okay. We don't even think twice. Right. You know, and then we we get we get we get email from our Australian listeners go, hey, actually, it's you know, yeah. like where do you get that from? <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't even see those letters in that word. Where did that come? From? At least going into this one, we know. Hey, we're going to butcher these. <laughs> yeah, right. Most likely. <laughs> so it's called the Red House, but it's also known as Villa de Vecchi, or it could be Vecchi. I'm going to say Vecchi because it's what my tongue wants to do. So Villa de Vecchi, also nicknamed the Red House, the Ghost Mansion, and Casa de uh, something or other, the House of Witches, uh, which is what Matt was talking about. It It has many nicknames but you'll find it mostly as the Red House. Now, it's located in the mountains of east of Lake Como. So Villa de Vecchi, more commonly referred to, like I said, as the Red House, is a 19th century mansion built for Count Felice de Vecchi in the tiny hamlet of Bindo. Now, for decades, the historic, once opulent building has been derelict, abandoned, and just left to total degradation, which mm-hmm. is like Matt and I were talking before we hit record. Why? I don't understand. Like this, this was a opulent house. It was so yeah. cool. I don't understand. Yeah, I don't either. I, I, I think maybe it was timing True. Um, based on the when when the house became unoccupied. There wasn't anyone immediately ready to step up and begin to care for a home like this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were there's a lot of talk of it having been a a summer home for the count. Um, you know, it had a staff to to up to do all the upkeep. Yeah, 
So, you know, and without somebody, you know, ready to, to take it over or to even live in it, or at least manage the care, you know, any home is going to, going to fall into, into ruin, any building, it's going to fall into ruin, but you know, especially one like this. And because it wasn't secured, you know, it, it, it was vandalized. People would, would venture out there and, you know, they, they didn't, they didn't show the respect that, you know, it needed. So unfortunately now we just, we have a shell of, of what is left. Right. Right. So real quick, I want to look at Lake Como because it sits right on the edge of Lake Como and and looking this up, I thought some of this information was interesting. So pass it along here. Now in the old days, the lake was called Lario, which means deep place. So Lake Como is the deepest lake in Italy, which explains the ancient name. But it makes me wonder how far did ancient peoples actually get in the lake to be able to know it was super deep? I I mean, maybe they had cordage that they ran until it hit bottom or something and it never hit bottom. I don't know, but I'm just curious is did they have ancient scuba diving suits and somebody went down there and went, (laughs) man, this place is deep. Probably, probably not, but I I would imagine that at some point somebody got in this lake and was like, Hey, I can't tell there's a bottom anywhere near Mm -hmm. (laughs) this Mm -hmm. place must be really, really deep. And I mean, they may have had uh, a rope with a rock on it and yeah, just kept lowering it down like like you would do old school shore measurements and stuff. But uh, well, he said throw the anchor over. Yep. The it hey uh, came off the, the anch- spool. We're not anchored. Yeah. <laughs> it just came off the spool on the ship, and they lost their anchor. And so Lake Como's depth is about four hundred and ten meters, or one thousand three hundred and forty-five feet. So Golly. that's wild for a lake. Yeah, That's wild. There's not many lakes that are that deep, right? Those are the lakes that scare me because those are the lakes that could have something ginormous living in it, and you'd never know until you were swallowed one day swimming. Yeah, it. got a catfish down there that looks like a Volkswagen yeah. bus. Yep. <laughs> and this is Italy, so it it there there are those uh, Wells catfish around mm-hmm. there, and those Wells catfish actually attack humans if you mm-hmm. swim anywhere near their eggs. They'll attack you, and they could easily drown you and swallow small children. I mean, there's ancient drawings of these things with babies in their gut. So I don't want to be the next baby to get eaten by one of these (laughs) giant Wells catfish. So it's, it's been called the most profound lake in Italy, and it's also one of the deepest in Europe, not just the deepest in Italy. It's one of the deepest in Europe. Now, in contrast to average rules, Como is used three times. Como as the province, Como as the city, and Como as the lake. So it's not a common case in Italy. There's another peculiarity about Lake Como. It has a unique form of an inverted Latin letter Y. So this form was obtained by the melting of powerful glaciers combined with the erosion, the erosive action of the ancient river that was called Ada. So two separate branches of the lake were formed. So the world famous town of Bellagio is actually located in the middle of these branches. Mm. 
So if you know anything, Bellagio, it's right there on Lake Como and it's right at the, the branch of that, the Y part. So it's like an upside down Y and Bellagio is right up there in its crevice. Yeah. So Bellagio's in the crevice of this lake. <laughs> so it's right in the crotch. Right there. The, the lake crotch. It, maybe that's what Bellagio means. If you're from Italy and listening to this, does Bellagio mean lake crotch? Probably not, but maybe, maybe. So Lake Como and the city of the same name are located near Milan and uh, Lugano, making the lake very, very accessible for tourists. And it's the, the first lake in Italy by popularity, but it's the third largest. So when you ask people their favorite lake, most of them say Lake Como. Yeah. There are. There were Virgil and Pliny the Younger villas in ancient times, and George Clooney actually now owns the most famous villa on the lake. Celebrities and famous people often spend their holidays here. So, I mean, it sounds like a cool place to go. Oh, yeah. Not even counting the Red House being on it. <laughs> yeah. But Count De Vecchi was the head of the Italian National Guard and a patriotic hero for his role in the Five Days of Milan, an insurrection in 1848 that led to Milan's liberation from Austrian rule. So let's look at De Vecchi himself. So Felice De Vecchi was born in Milan on February 12, 1816. He trained at the Royal College of the Jesuit Fathers in Novara. From an early age, he developed a strong propensity for classical studies and the drawing. So between 1841 and 1842, and I'll just tell you, I found a lot of this information on Da Vecchi on Italian website. So I had to mm-hmm. translate this over. Right. So yeah. if something happens in the translation of this, I apologize. Like if I cuss and don't realize it, I'll try to cut it out, <laughs> but I apologize. I, this was translated. For, so you never know what happens in translation. Well, between 1841 and 1842, uh, driven by the 19th century taste for the exotic and for the, quote, wonderful Orient, he undertook a long journey with his friend uh, Gaetano Osculati, an explorer and naturalist from Monza. The two sailed uh, sailed the Danube and the Black Sea to reach Istanbul. They then crossed into... uh, Persia from north to south following the ancient caravan routes. So they landed in Bombay, India, and finally returned by way of the Red Sea in Egypt. So the travels fueled De Vecchi's passion for painting. Um, he was like a, he was this big lover of mountain views, which kind of explains here in a minute why the yeah. house is where it's at. But he he developed this love for mountain views. And starting in 1844, he appears among the members of the Society of Artists and the Society for Fine Arts in Milan. When uh, this was dire- uh, directed by Francesco Hayes, so way back in the day. Now, starting in 1855, Da Vecchi's name was included among the history, figures, perspective, and landscape painters in the city of Milan. So. He was fairly well known at the time as a painter oh, yeah. and artist, as well as being essentially a, a 
a national hero. Right, right. So Felice de Vinci published the story of his journey to the East, a narrative full of references to historical and naturalistic studies, but also of his anecdotes and impressions. So the text, which was embellished with engravings um, that were made by Salvatore Maza and uh, Basil from drawings by Felice himself, it was partially published by the Milanese typographer Claudia Wilmot, but of the 12 chapters that he envisioned, four were published in installments in 1847. So later, uh, gathered into a single volume in 1854 with the title of Excursion Along the Current Theater of War and From the Danube to the Caucasus Regions, two editions identical in content describing the first part of the journey, which was from the Danube to the border between Turkey and Persia, were published. So it's interesting because they they were identical in publishings, but they had two different titles. And it wasn't his whole work. It was only the first like four chapters of his 12-chapter thing that he wrote. So it, it's uh, it, it, interesting to me how that happened. But the second part of the story, um, which was from the fifth to eighth chapters, it was talking about the, the Persia crossing. Well, this wasn't published until 2016, following the discovery and study of the correspondence and archive belonging to Felice de Vecchi. So the last four chapters of the book, still missing. They, they don't know where they are. They know they were written, yeah, but they've only been able to do the first eight chapters. And five through eight, weren't published until 2016. Yeah. And and this is a this is a um a fairly um important work because there weren't people doing this kind of stuff at the time. You 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 realize that in that that period of the 1800s um you you were having people that were trying to expand our knowledge of the globe going over territories that were already in existence wasn't at the top of what the explorers were hunting for. Sure. Yeah. But you know, we know things change. And so we get a really good view of what it was like along that course at that time, um, what the cities were like, what the mm-hmm. people were like, um, because it, it it certainly isn't that way now, right? You know, so much has changed, you know, in you know almost all you know pushing two hundred years mm-hmm. uh, that that makes it even more of a valuable work to to get that imagery, you know, and not with- just not just the the text, but the actual drawings of mm-hmm. what they what they saw. Well, and with his anecdotes and impressions that were added in, it mm-hmm. also kind of gives you an insight into him and how people looked at this, not just what it was, but how people viewed it at the time, how the quote, wonderful Orient was viewed by Italian people at the time. Now, it says that uh, De Vecchi was enamored with the 
Valsacina Valley near Lake Como. So he ordered the construction of the villa between 1854 and 1857 to serve as his summer residence. So the villa is now, it's located within a 130,000 square meter park, which is surrounded by woods. Its architecture, they say, was inspired by the Count's passion for Eastern culture. So it's got a lot of um, what you would call Eastern influences to the architecture there, which was different at the time for Italy. You didn't Mm -hmm. see many houses like that in Italy. So the Count, like we were saying, he's a well-read and widely traveled man. So his point was to build a dream retreat for his family. And he wanted to do it with the help of the architect Alessandro Sidoli. Now, Alessandro Sidoli, Sidioli maybe, he died a year before the villa was completed. And I'll kind of preface, maybe foreshadow some of the stuff that Matt's going to talk about, because many would say that his death was the first ill omen for this place. Yeah. But nevertheless, the Count and his family made uh, Villa de Vecchi their home during the spring and summer months, and by most accounts, led an idyllic existence there. Yeah, and it's interesting that after uh, Sidioli's death, the Count and his wife, they were happy with the work that had already been done. Mm -hmm. They, They were satisfied. So it wasn't like they were moving into an unfinished house. Right, right. Uh, yeah. You know, maybe all of the all of the flourishes and things like that were not complete or hadn't had yet to be started. But the house was satisfactory for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they loved it. So they they went ahead and said, We're not gonna hire anybody else. We wanted Sidioli to do this, and this is what he was able to get accomplished, and we love it. Right. Which I think that's cool. That they Uh they left it the way he did it. Well, this, quote, great mansion boasted a blend of Baroque and classical Eastern styles, and it was outfitted with all the modern conveniences of the time. So this included indoor heating pipes, dumb waiters, and a large-scale pressurized fountain, Uh which, as we've talked before about stuff in the 1800s, it's really cool when you see stuff like that built in the late 1800s because it wasn't widespread like now if you go over to somebody's house that has a fountain out front you're like okay yeah you're rich i get that but this it's i mean it's a fountain i mean Mm -hmm. anybody with enough money can put a fountain in it's not that big a deal but back then you saw a fountain you were like oh you are rich and and you're on the cutting edge of technology buddy yeah because you weren't you weren't going down to home depot and buying a pump no. Yeah, well, no. we need a pump that'll take water up this many feet. And, mm-hmm. You know, we'll, we'll run some power out to it. It'll be filled with water. It'll be ready to roll. It didn't work that way. No. You know, they, had to, they had to figure out how to pressurize this water so that it would actually work. Yeah, there was no it's, Villa de Depot at all. Yeah. <laughs> so the walls and ceilings were decorated with, quote, painstakingly detailed frescoes and uh, frises. And a larger-than-life fireplace, it says, presided over the main parlor where the grand piano stood at the ready. There were extensive gardens and promenades uh, rounded out the already picturesque surroundings. 
and an equally impressive staff house was built because like Matt said, they had to have people there to help take care of this place. So they built a staff house that was quite large and impressive for the staff to live in. So as Adam kind of hinted earlier, um, there were some tragedies said to have occurred at the house and that Sidioli's death was kind of the first indication, the the first omen, if you will, to, um, to more hardship and sadness for the count and his family. And so the, the legend of Villa de Vecchi goes like this. Now, sometime in 1862, the count returned home to find his wife, Carolina, brutally murdered. And some sources say her face was disfigured and his daughter, Beatrice, missing. Now, there's a lot of theories about what happened from a home invasion to a deliberate act of revenge against the count for his role in uh, the five days of Milan. Um, and even the unlikely possibility of his daughter Beatrice being a suspect. You know, what Carolina's is dead mm-hmm. and Beatrice is missing. Um, you know, it seemed unlikely, but, you, you know, you have to, you you have consider, to consider it. it. Yeah. But regardless of the who and why, the count would put out a lengthy search for his daughter searching the entire area, essentially nonstop, according to the stories. But he would later commit suicide that same year. Mm. So, you know, that that story right there is enough to go, oh, I bet that house is haunted. Mm-hmm, for sure. You know, something that tragic in this, this beautiful, opulent home. Yeah, you know, that's going to leave a mark. Oh, yeah. So, um, so we'll we'll get into the stories that come out from the locals here in just a here in just a moment. Right. So, to finish this up, after Da Vinci's death, the villa was then passed on to his brother, on on to his brother uh, Biagio, Biagio, I guess B I A G O. And I I B I A G O. B-I-A-G-O and Biagi was his name. (laughs) So his later renovations oversaw the removal of a lot of the estate's eastern aspects. So Biagio didn't didn't like the eastern influences, so he kind of had those removed. Well, him and his family continued to live on the grounds up until World War II, after which they vacated for good. So the house made the rounds of owners and prospective buyers, but by the 1960s, it was left permanently uninhabited. This says that while the natural elements began their assault early on, the majority of the abandoned house's irreversible damage has been done by humans. So graffiti covers the walls, and anything capable of being vandalized has been vandalized and given a, quote, makeover. Yeah. So despite all natural and human efforts to bring about its demise, Villa de Vecchi persists. An avalanche in 2002, Matt, wiped out all of the nearby houses, but Villa de Vecchi remained untouched. Yeah, and that just so, that just feeds the fire that yeah. somehow this this house, this this property 
is cursed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some unseen force prevents it from being destroyed. You know, they can, you know, humans can come in and do all the damage they want, but in reality, it, you know, it is still standing. Uh, it is, it is not livable by any means. In fact, um, it's off limits to visitors now. I bet Bear Grylls can live there. <laughs> yeah, he probably could. Um, don't know that he would, but he probably could. Um, but apparently, like, um, it was really big for urban explorers. You know, people just, you know, hey, let's go out and check out the Red House, the Ghost Mansion. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, I, I've read this story about the Witch's House. Um, let's go. Let's go visit it. And so people would go, whether they had an intent to do any any harm or not. But during one of these uh, these uh, exploratory excursions, uh, the the second floor caved in, and oh, it geez. and it injured one of the explorers. So from that point, the government said, "Okay, it, you you can't go in anymore. Yep. You can, y'all are dumb and going yeah. in here. We're going to tell you not to. You can go up and see it, but you can't go in." Now, what do the people say about the the Red House? Now, some stories say that on the nights of the summer and winter solstice, you can hear the the lamenting cries of a female voice coming from inside the house. And at night, some sources say every night, the sound of a piano can be heard and indeed, the remains of a grand piano can be found inside the house. Hmm. I, I say the remains because it, other than the shape, that's about all that you can <laughs> tell that this was a piano. Okay. Right. I mean, you look at current pictures. This, this place has been destroyed. Um, now, in the 1920s, occultist Aleister Crowley, who we've talked about on this show before, spent a few nights at the villa. And it is said that his followers later used the house for satanic and orgiastic rites. Those <laughs> sound that, fun. Yeah. And that murders and suicides took place there. Some legends suggest that Crowley and his group left before the third night out of fear. So that they either encountered something or summoned something and took off and didn't stay that third night that they had intended. Hmm. Makes you wonder. I know it's, you know, cause, cause Crowley, man, he's, he's a polarizing figure in and of himself. So anything he did anywhere he went, the fact that he was there becomes a historical marker for that location. And, and other stories suggest that during his time in Italy, Crowley would often make trips to La Villa de Vecchi as he was drawn to the location and the spirit that supposedly haunted the house. Hmm. Now, after performing several rituals, the home became flooded with the spirits of those who had died in the area. So, uh, you know, this is saying that that Crowley is responsible for the haunting of the red house. Um, that maybe, you know, it did have a lingering spirit, uh, from the family, 
but that Crowley was the reason that it became so haunted and and so active by summoning in or at least opening up a door for all these spirits to inhabit it. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Now, in the years following Crowley's visits, many of his followers broke into the home performing their own rituals and spells with some saying a few had opened a doorway into hell. That's never, never a good thing. Never a good thing. You know, those doorways to hell are best left closed. Right. Right. Put a (laughs) bolt on them. Lock them. Lock them things up. How'd you even find the key? Jeez. No kidding. Okay. Why are you looking for the key in the first place? Yeah. But since then, those who visit the mansion have claimed to see spirits wandering the halls or hear sounds of a piano playing on the first floor. Hmm. Now, today, these legends have contributed to the villa's many nicknames. As we've said, the ghost mansion, the house of witches. Um, but the question is, if the hauntings are due to these events, did these events actually ever happen? It's a good question. Yeah. So instead of debunking the hauntings, let's debunk the actual history behind them. Uh-oh. Graveyards debunking stuff. <laughs> I know. This is, this is out of the ordinary, but we're not the debunkers. We're just reporting on it. So while Felix de Vecchi was, uh, he did commission Alessandro Sidioli to build the Villa de Vecchi. And that actually happened in 1853. The villa was not for Felix's wife and daughter as a vacation home. Felix and his wife, Carolina Franchetti de Ponte, actually had two children, Giuseppe, born in 1846 and Beatrice in 1850. Now, on top of this, Carolina died on February 7th, 1851, years before the mansion was even thought of. Mm. So that in of itself makes the legend false. Right, right. Now, in 2013... Elise Beto at the University of Milan, um, Bicocca, wrote her master's thesis entitled Felix de Vecchi, Uno Seguaro di Macintaro Sulle Oriente. <laughs> try that again. Never. So <laughs> I'm not it, it, try it. it means Felix, Felix de Vecchi, a forgotten look at the East. And all our Italian friends, you can, you can, Rake me over the coals for my pronunciations. <laughs> they, they've already started. I feel good about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the The Twitter comments have already started. They've already started. <laughs> I'll I'll send them to you. <laughs> but this but this work, it, it's possibly the only full biography on Felix de Vecchi's life, and we've already talked about him. He was a a, a very unique and very important figure in Italy's early history. Right. Um, I mean, he was essentially a hero and there wasn't really much written history about him. Now from this work, we know that Carolina died from an 
unknown disease in 1851 after caring for her dying mother for several months in 1850 and was not murdered in 1862. We also know that Felix never remarried, therefore there could not have been a wife murdered in the villa, even one that wasn't Carolina. Mm -hmm. But we also know from uh, Elise Beto's work that Felix's daughter never went missing and therefore was not the cause of his death. Felix had long been suffering from liver disorders for at least a decade before his death. And while he did die in 1862, it's believed his death was attributed to liver disease. And it's also important to note that Felix did not die at the villa. He actually died in Milan. Now, this is, this is not conjecture. <laughs> these are facts. Yeah. The, these events are recorded, and uh, Elise, Elise Beto's work and found you know, the, the evidence of these events happening when and where. Now, as for Beatrice, Felix's daughter, based on the yearbook of Italian nobility published in 1895, we know that Beatrice married renowned historian Antonio Cavagna Sigliani in 1867. Now, I remember she went missing in 1862, according to the legend. Right. But she married a well-known historian in 1867. The two stayed married until 1885. This was confirmed in Sangliani's biography written after his death in 1913 and by letters found archived at the Library of the University of Illinois. So we've, we pretty much have found evidence that the, the legend that makes the Red House so spooky isn't real. Mm-hmm. Well, what about Aleister Crowley? Now, you know, for those, for Crowley's visits, the details are a bit murkier. Okay. Crowley's time in Italy was actually in Sicily, creating the Abbey of Thelema, which was, you know, the commune that focused on teaching magic and living life based on free will. Right. If you haven't listened to our Aleister Crowley episode, Go back and find it. it it's it's really it, it's really interesting. I mean, he is such an unusual character. Yeah. After we did that episode, I don't know if you remember this, Matt. This is kind of just a add-in tangential thing. After we did that episode, somebody sent us T-shirts. Uh huh. And I I still wear this T-shirt as <laughs> as my around the house shirt or whatever, and it has picture a bunch of cheeses on there and it says without the cheese i am nothing mm-hmm. and then ac yeah and <laughs> to understand that go listen to the episode but <laughs> we never found out who sent those shirts there was no name on it we asked about it nobody stepped up and and claimed it or whatever so if you're still listening if you've made it from alistair crowley to here and you sent us those shirts thank you and just know even though i've gotten fatter i still wear it yeah yeah, I I can't I can't wear mine. Piper has mine because I'm a I'm a fatty fat fat fat. Um, but that's okay. I I thought it was I thought it was great. You know that was that was one of the best quotes we've ever had come out of a come out of a show. But um, 
But with with Crowley having you know been in Italy, you know even even if he, he's just in Sicily, there were rumors of rituals, sacrifices, angel, demon summoning. Uh, with one former member of the commune blaming the drinking of cat blood for the death of her husband. So she drank some cat blood and that caused her husband to die. I, uh, okay. I, yeah. What ifs? <laughs> but that assertion has been debated by Crowley and others with the death likely linked to drinking tainted water. Now, these sorts of accusations, though, led to the government issuing a deportation letter to Aleister Crowley. So that story, and along with everything else that was, you know, either half-truce or complete rumors, um, it it made the Italian government stand up and go, "Uh, you got to go, man. You know, it's, we we don't need your type around here. (laughs) A lot of things he did, I'd kick him out of my country. That's right. I mean, you know. I mean, he he wasn't somebody that you invited in with open arms. You know, no. he was he was an oddball. He's that weird uncle that you're kind of like. Well, I guess if you got to show up for holidays, then I'll let you in and I'll give you a couple rolls. But I once you eat, get out. I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't want there no cocktails for you. Yeah, quit trying to bring the turkey back to life. Yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That that defibrillator is not going to bring the turkey back to life. He's half eaten already. Quit zapping the turkey. That's right. And why are the mashed potatoes in the shape of a pentagram? Right. Right. You smell funny. (laughs) What did you go out and do a second ago? Now, as the Abbey of Thelema was located 916 miles or 1,475 kilometers from the Villa de Vecchi, it's kind of hard to believe that Alistair would have taken a long journey during the three years he was running his commune, but it is possible. Now, when you hear that number, how far it was, it makes you think, okay, it's, it's possible but unlikely that he would have made a trip this long. He was only there for three years. It's really unlikely that he made multiple trips. Mm-hmm. But many believe, however, that Crowley did summon spirits and that they remain in the Red House to this day. But then we talk to this guy. I love this guy. You see an interview. Atlas Obscura has this interview mm. with this gentleman. And if you don't do anything else, go go listen to the interview. Uh, it's, all, it's in Italian, but there's subtitles. It's fantastic. So this the gentleman I'm speaking of is Giuseppe Negri. He is one person who not only doesn't believe the legends, he says, quote, it's a bunch of crap. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the reason why is Giuseppe Negri's family were the caretakers of the property for multiple generations. His great-grandfather was the gardener. His grandfather was the gardener. And in this interview um, with Atlas Obscura, he explains how when he was young, this place was like heaven. He loved it. You know, yeah. going through the house, you know, spending time there, it was beautiful. And and he adored it. In fact, Giuseppe said he will not go in now at all. Because he does haunted? No. <laughs> because <laughs> he doesn't want to see those memories tarnished by seeing oh, yeah. what's happened to this place that meant so much to him as a child. Yeah. 
But he does talk about the ghosts. And Negri says, yeah, there's ghosts in there. Negri and his brother-in-law sometimes dressed up as ghosts at night to scare off trespassers, which may help explain why rumors of paranormal activity at the mansion persist to this day. Yeah. <laughs> like, man, I love a Scooby-Doo ending. You know, right. that's great. Right. <laughs> that's good. But, you know, the 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 bigger, when we started researching this, we, we picked this place because it was on a list of the most haunted places in Italy. And we haven't done too many places in Italy. Um, so we thought it would be fun to, to, to look at this. And then very quickly we realized, uh, I don't think this place is haunted. Right, right. <laughs> And and as we dug a little bit deeper, we were able to find the information from uh, Elise Biotti's work um, that, you know, historically, these are all just legends. Even, even Crowley's visit there might not have actually happened. Mm. Um. It wouldn't surprise me if it did, because even then, if there were legends of this place being haunted, I could see, uh, you know, him going there. The way, the the way that the the water is around it, the you know the the depth of that lake, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, come on, I could see him having an interest in going there, but there's sure. really no proof that he ever did. Um, but. How do you get on a list of of the most, not only the most haunted places in Italy, but sometimes being dubbed the most haunted place in Italy yeah. with virtually no activity at all? Well, you know, you, over year over the years, you begin to tell stories, and those stories become embellished, and they be, and they spread, and you you get. You get a legend that there was a murder in the old red house and, you know, the owner, you know, his daughter was missing and he couldn't find her and he killed himself there. And that, you know, the spirits have been there and Aleister Crowley came and summoned all these spirits. You don't go up there. It's, it's, well, what does it do? It doesn't scare people away. It draws them there. Right. People wanted to right. see, I mean, if for no other reason, this, like I've said before, this is an amazing house. Mm-hmm. In a in a beautiful part of the country, you know. So e- even if you're going up there thinking, "Well, I wonder if we'll see a ghost," you're. It's still going to be so so beautiful and so impressive, you know. It's worthwhile. But for people that have gone up there with the idea of, "Well, we're going to be scared to death," they were probably disappointed in that fact. Sure. Um, yeah. But they went, and they came to Italy. They, they visited Milan and they stayed in the hotels and they ate in the restaurants and they brought money and, and notoriety mm-hmm. to the area. So why would that be a bad thing? <laughs> so let the legend roll, my friend, you know, it, if it's, I mean, and even to this day, you know, here, Adam and I are talking about it. Uh, the legends persist. People still insist, you know, that that piano plays almost every night. Yeah. And that you can hear the cries of a woman on the nights of the winter and summer solstice. 
Uh, you know, no. who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe you do. Um, you know, Here's but a, if we're going to attribute it to the legend, the legend is not real. Right. But here, here's the thing, Matt. What if, let's say this does happen. What if it, all the quote haunted activity that they mentioned, it does happen. Is it possible? I know where you're going. That it is a tulpa type thing, an egregore, um, because they have put so much thought and attention on the hauntings. Could they have created a tulpa, tulpic like haunting of the place? And could yeah. that be an example of what this is? You know, we, we've seen other things. I mean, we did a, a whole epi- well, half an episode on tulpas and we, we looked at how, if someone or multiple peoples are thinking about something together, then it, it can manifest. Yeah. So rather than being a solid being, what if they manifested the hauntings of the place enough to where some people do see it. Yeah. It's that's definitely an idea. And when you started, I I knew where you were going. And <laughs> for, for those of you who are maybe new to the show, um, haven't listened through the, the, the back catalog, um, you may or may not know what a tulpa is. So just for the sake of it, Adam, tell, tell our listeners again, what, what exactly a tulpa is. So I can't remember the the full definition of it. While I'm uh, talking, I'll try to Google it and get the exact definition. But um, it a tulpa is a creature or an entity, yeah, that basically was given birth by concentration and thought. Yeah. So a lot of people say that um, Santa could be a tulpa because so many people in the earth believe that Santa exists or want Santa to exist, that there actually is an entity now mm-hmm. that acts like Santa. Um, so the definition of tulpa is tulpa is a concept in theosophy, myth, mysticism, and the paranormal of a materialized thought form typically in human form, such as an imaginary friend. Mm-hmm. So that, that was, I think another, um, another example that we used was when your children have an imaginary friend, could mm-hmm. they actually be creating a being, a thought form that is their imaginary friend and you can't see them, but it, it is, pretty real to them it's it's a legit thing because they thought on it so much and we did a i think it was a split episode where matt covered one thing and i covered something else but we discussed tulpas and it was pretty early on and it has come up many times in our research and discussions of different haunted places different topics because in my opinion 
a lot of things that we discuss could end up being some type of thought form. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is, it is an interesting, um, concept and it is, it is not something that just somebody made up. Okay. Tibetan monks were, were known to, to do this, right, you know, to right. go into these meditative states and essentially create a helper, right. You yeah. know, to do menial tasks for sure. them. Yeah. Um, there's a book, two of my two of my favorite authors. There's a series of books um, by Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child. There, it's the Pendergast series, and uh, I had to look it up real quick to remember which one it was. The Wheel of Darkness um, is a book where um, Pendergast encounters this stolen, um, like Tibetan artifact that is essentially like a a puzzle knot. Mm-hmm. And what the characters they would do with this is you begin to work the knot. And I mean, I don't mean like, you know, you, you've got a knot in your shoelace and this thing is very intricate and you begin to undo the knot and you do it in your mind, essentially, you know, one piece, you know, moving this and that. What it does is it eliminates any outside interference to your meditation. All of your focus is poured into this. But right. this particular task summoned a very particular tulpa. And, you know, that, you know, yeah, that's a work of fiction. But if you're familiar with, um, Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child as authors, either together or on their own, you know that they have done a lot of research and travel into these kind of things. So they're the things they mention in books are inspired by actual things, whether historical, mm-hmm. whether you know ancient history, um, yeah, you know all of those things. They they have studied and researched, you know, Native American folklore. Um, they, they've, they've covered it and they've covered it in depth before they put it in their books. So the idea of this is not completely out there. Um, and, I, you know, I think maybe it's a possibility, even if it's just a matter of you have heard the story so much, you have grown up hearing the story of the Red House, that you experience it, that, right. you know, you you hear the music, you hear the cries. Um, so I, I I think I I think it's a possibility if you look at anything else, you know, you, yeah, why not? You know, why why wouldn't you consider this uh, as a possibility too? Because like we said, there's still a lot of people that claim that this is exactly what happens. You know, take the take the legend aspect out of it. You know, you've just got this really old home that is abandoned and you know, a lot of people believe it's haunted and believe they've had an experience there. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's hard to say, but um, it is still, we we thought it was very interesting that someone was actually able to go through and, and debunk all of these legends with actual historical facts. You know, it wasn't a matter of, well, that probably didn't happen. No, they were like, it didn't happen. 
<laughs> yeah, we we got the receipts right here, and that that normally doesn't happen. Uh, right. A lot of times we get a haunted place, and it looks like the historical facts line up, mm-hmm. or there's just no evidence of. And and we'll tell you when there's no evidence of it, but this is what the legend says. But if it looks like the things line up, a lot of times what we get is just skeptics or cynics saying, no, that that can't happen. Yeah. It doesn't happen. It's not haunted. Here we have the case of here's the legend and here's what people say happens there. But here's the receipts over here that say, uh-uh, there's no way. Yeah. Because this person was dead prior to this happening. Mm-hmm. So this couldn't have happened. And then this couldn't have happened because the daughter was not the only child. Yeah. And he died of this. We have proof of his death because he was had liver disease and he died. So we actually have the medical record of that because he was such a prominent figure. Mm-hmm. In Italy at the time, of course, they would keep records of his death. Yeah. So this is a very interesting situation for not only me, but for graveyard tales in yeah. general. And I think maybe we need to get a Wikipedia entry from our <laughs> episode that says, yeah, but technically this is, this is kind of bunk here. Yeah. This doesn't, you know. But, you know, I. You do have to consider the fact that maybe this place is haunted mm. to some degree and the legend came after. And sure. and we have run into that. Oh, yeah. 100%. Where, you know, but most of the time when you see those, the legends are very vague. You know, you have you have multiple versions. There's no there's no way to prove that the people in the legend actually ever existed. Like the gray lady stories. A lot of the gray lady uh stories, there's a lady that's haunted. And then they always say it's a hurt lover. Yeah. That took her own life. A bride committed a jilted bride committed suicide in this hotel room, um, or jumped to her death. What was her name? Well, we don't know. That was lost to history. Well, it only happened in, in 19, you know, 42, you know, mm-hmm. you, you lost that, you know, there was a, there was a fire, a, a small, <laughs> small fire. Yeah. Something. Um, so I, I think there, there is a chance that there, there is some paranormal activity. Like I said, old house, you know, left to ruin, um, you know, uh, maybe, maybe some, some negative energy, you know, sticking around there. Maybe there is something to the fact that that lake, right, is right there and it's so deep. Um, you know, maybe there is some spiritual activity and and devising the legend was an easy way to explain it um, mm-hmm. and in turn garner a little bit more interest in it. Um, you know, we, we've definitely seen stuff like that. So we're not going to tell you. Yeah, the Red House, absolutely not haunted. We're just going to tell you that it's been proven that the legends are not accurate. Um, So the story behind the hauntings is false. Um, Whether the hauntings are real or not, can't say 100%. 
Mm-hmm. But we also can't say for sure that they don't they don't happen. So, but uh, what are your thoughts? You know, do uh, do any of our uh, listeners in Italy have an opinion? Have you been to the Red House? Do you know the story? Were you did you know the legend? You know, growing up, are you a spirit that lives at the Red That's House? Right. <laughs> That's right. You know, are you the one that plays the piano? You know. Uh, you Please know, uh, give us a call and play the piano for us. And do you take requests? Yes. Uh, let us know. And the best place to do that is in our Facebook group. Uh, we've got thousands of members in there. Very, very active. We have a lot of fun. We love to share these personal stories and experiences. We, we share a lot of jokes and comments. Look, it's it's a private group. No one's going to make fun of you. It's not political. You know, it's just fun talking about this stuff. Uh, and when you're done there, you can hop over to our website, which is graveyardpodcast.com. And there you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can listen to the show and you can become a patron. And as Adam said at the top of the show, um, our, our, our Patreon catalog has gotten really, really large. You get a lot of bonus content. You get video content for our top tier members. You get uncut, unedited. You get to see how the sausage is made, and you know it's it, it's it's a lot of fun. Sometimes you you really can catch some oddball things that happen while we're doing this. <laughs> but um, don't forget and rate and review us on iTunes. It brings us up the chart, and it just helps more people find the graveyard. So until next time, we'll save you a seat. In the graveyard. See you soon.